welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. A couple of guys were out fishing. Their uh, fishing boat unfortunately was wrecked on a reef. They managed to make it to, uh, to shore, but it was only a very small island, just a sandy atoll really, with a few palm trees and not much else. Once they recovered from the, uh, the long swim to shore, one of them started to panic. We're going to die! We're going to die! The other guy was strangely silent and was just leaning up against a palm tree. The other guy got infuriated that this other fellow was so calm and peaceful. Don't you understand? There's no water here. There's no food. It's just sand. It's just palm trees. Don't you understand that we're going to die? The other guy was really calm and he said, no, you don't understand, mate. You don't get it. He said, I earn $100,000 a week. Guys, what? What's the point of that? That's no good to us here. We're going to die. You don't understand, mate. I earn $100,000 a week. And I tithe 10% of that every week to my church. My pastor will find us. Someone just got it? (laughs) It was very difficult to remember a time when he wasn't feeling hungry. What little grain he'd been able to amass wasn't going to feed himself or his father's household for very long. But at least it was something. It had been seven years that they'd lived like this. Hiding in caves or in the mountains or, in his case, in a fortified defensive position where his father had some authority. Other people hadn't been as lucky as they as the marauding tribes had pillaged and murdered. Strange, he thought. I have such dreams, such aspirations. So much I want to do. I've got ideas. And yet here I am in this pit on a hillside. A wine press was used to the soft padding of bare feet, squishing out big, round, juicy grapes. But there were no grapes now. Most of the vines had been burned or pulled out. This wine press was feeling the weight of him bashing some wheat to separate grain from chaff. He stopped a moment from 
bashing the wheat and stretched his back to relieve the tension and stretched his arms. And as he did, he kind of scanned the horizon, looking cautiously for any evidence of enemy activity because they all always had scouts out prowling about. And he scanned slowly and as he, as he got round to the side, the sun was full in his face and just near the big oak tree. And it was a bit like, could he make it out? He was dazzled by the bright light raging full in his face and his strained eyes strained even harder. He was sure of it. There was a, a silhouette of a man sitting under the oak tree. Who was he? What was he doing here? How long had he been there? He turned, averted his eyes to find his sword and silently unsheathed it and turned back. Was it a trick of the light? Nothing. Just the tree and the sun still shining full in his face. This was a very sad time in Israel's history. There's a very telling verse at the end of a book that's called Judges. The book is about local leaders that God raised up during difficult times. And the verse at the end of Judges says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. God help us if we get to set our own moral benchmark and everyone else around us gets to set their own benchmark according to their own conscience. For 200 years, God's chosen people had drifted away from God God had removed his favour and certainly removed his protection of them. And so surrounding tribes would come in and oppress them and pillage and plunder and murder. They'd get desperate enough to call out to God for help. God would hear their cry and he'd raise up a local leader to assemble often a little army to deliver them from the oppressors. But then they'd forget about God and go back into their ways and the cycle would repeat itself again. If you have a Bible, I hope you do, please turn to Judges 6. Start from the front cover and you go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. It's clear that in this, in this chapter that... Um, God hands Israel over to the Midianites to arrest the Israelites' tendency towards idolatry. As I read this passage, I want you to keep a a bit of an ear out for when the identity of this stranger sitting under the oak tree changes. Judges 6, verse 11. Do we have it on the screen? We will have it on the screen soon, maybe. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, 
the Abia's right, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Gideon answered him, But sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hand of Midian. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. He responded, But sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites, every one of them. Did you see it? Angel of the Lord initially, and then it becomes the Lord himself. We haven't got time to pursue the significance of that this morning, but it's just a teaser. Now, this is one of the great, great stories in the Old Testament. And I'm tempted to tell you the whole story, but I haven't got time. Seven years, Midianites pillaging Israel. This is the world's very first recorded, organized camel raid anywhere in history. First record in Judges 6. This is about 1100 BC and they're using this revolutionary new military equipment. Camels. Perhaps we wouldn't laugh as much as if we saw a horde of them charging towards us but could be a bit terrifying. And they're, um, they're grumpy, aren't they? Camels, pretty grumpy. The nomads and their camels, this account tells us, were more numerous than a locust played and more numerous than the grains of sand. They were without number. They couldn't be counted. So this is a formidable army. After being commissioned for a task that was far beyond him, Gideon persuades God or his angel to hang around while he goes and gets a gift. So Gideon rushes off, prepares a meal, brings it back and offers it to the angel. The angel says, pour out the broth and put the rest of the meal on this rock, which Gideon does. Angel touches it with his staff, big stick that he's carrying, touches it with the tip of his staff, fire comes out of the rock, consumes the meal, angel disappears. Gideon's left wondering. At this point, he's wondering if he's going to survive because he's seen the Lord or the angel of the Lord and he is going to die because they were the rules. You couldn't look at God and live. So he's panicked. At that moment, God speaks to him and says, Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. Or, Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. 
Gideon builds this altar and calls it Jehovah Shalom. This name of God, Jehovah Shalom, was part of a revelation that Gideon had of God's character, an aspect of God's character that he did not recognize before. The Lord is peace. At the time that this, this was written down, somewhere in the 12th century BC, the time this was written down, the altar was still in existence. It was still there. The writer mentions that. This story gives me great hope. But you know, it's not the same story that I was taught at Sunday school. This isn't a story about a great hero, a great warrior, who was the obvious choice for God to make. It's quite different than that. The first thing to remember, the first point I want to make, is this, the Lord our peace, Jehovah Shalom, calls us into our destiny. He calls us into our destiny. God didn't see potential in Gideon in terms of some innate ability inside of him that Gideon hadn't yet recognised about himself. God understood exactly the kind of person Gideon was. He'd had seven years to prove himself, and here he was. His father was altering, uh, was altering, was worshipping at an altar to Baal, a false god, and all his household following him doing that, and Gideon had done nothing about it. And even when we read this story, at the end of the story, we're disappointed in Gideon. Because he tends to go the same way towards the end of his life. Nevertheless, Jehovah Shalom speaks destiny to Gideon. The difference is to be God's presence. You will never fulfill the purpose for which you were given life without God's powerful presence. Your true destiny, my true destiny, is way too big for either of us to be able to accomplish with our own resources. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. The Lord declares to Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. There's the difference right there. God declares Gideon's identity in him before he gives him his assignment the Lord is with you Pete's excellent talk last week the Lord is there Jehovah Shammah and the assignment to deliver Israel from the Midianites no small task they're without number their camels are without number That night, God speaks to Gideon again and commands him to tear down his father's altar. He's into action now. Chop up the sacred pole that stood by it. Use that for firewood. Sacrifice his father's second bull and sacrifice it on an altar there. 
The Bible tells us that Gideon's too afraid to do it in daylight. He's afraid of his family. His dad's not going to be pleased. And he's afraid of the townspeople. So he decides to do it at night. And he does all that at night. The next day, he's a hunted man. His father, very wisely, says to the townspeople, because they want to kill him. They want to kill Gideon. His father says, if Baal is a god, it's his altar, let him take care of Gideon. Many of you will probably know the rest of the story. Fleece wet, ground dry. Fleece dry, ground wet. Enemy having a dream. Gideon overhears. 32,000 men he assembles to battle the Midianites. 32,000. That's got to be impressive. But it's still not without number. There's a number on that amount. So the opposition is still way too large. So what does God do? He says, you've got too many, mate. Too many. Because if you win, you'll think you've done it. Send all the scared people home. How many scared people in a 32,000 strong army? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, in this case, 22,000. So he's left with 10. Then God says, still too many, mate. Take them down to the water. Have them drink. I'll sift them for you. He's left with 300. And they're equipped with some interesting weapons. Flaming torches, earthen pottery vases or jars, and trumpets. God bless trumpet players everywhere. In my former life, I used to be a trumpet player. And uh, if I played my trumpet today, people's ears would bleed. So I know how dangerous trumpets can be. So he divides the company, 300, into groups of 100, three companies. They surround the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the Syrian desert dwellers. And uh, at a given signal... They smashed the jars, which would have made a lot of noise, but what it did was reveal the light, the torches, flaming torches that they had, and they blew on their trumpets loudly. The Midianites and all the other ites were panicked, rousing out of their sleep, seeing all these torches surrounding their camp, hearing all the trumpets. They panicked. In the darkness, they thrashed out at anyone who was nearby happened to be their best friend or their mate or their brother or their dad so it was uh, an amazing turn of events over the next uh, little while Gideon and his small army mopped up over the past few weeks we've been looking at the redemptive names of God as uh, Tony mentioned earlier because they speak directly to seven basic human needs that we have Jehovah Shalom the Lord, our peace. Man, humanity needs peace. My name, interestingly enough, the name Jeffrey, if there's any Jeffs here, irrespective of how it's spelt, the name Jeffrey means God's peace. It does. So this is my talk. I claim it. 
Shalom means peace, but it doesn't mean peace like tranquil rolling hills, a lovely sunshiny day, the buzzing of thousands of bees doing their work, little ducks floating on a tranquil pond while you lay on your tartan picnic rug and look up at the sky and watch the clouds drift lazily from one horizon to the other. Jehovah Shalom in the middle of a war. Jehovah Shalom. Gideon experienced Jehovah Shalom in the midst of battle. Glenda reminded me yesterday when I was asking her advice about my talk, behind every good man, um, a time when we resigned from a leadership role within the Salvation Army and uh, we'd made a decision, we believed, under God to make a change. And uh, the hierarchy and lots of other people whom we knew expressed their disappointment with our resignation. Now, that's probably much better than them getting excited with our resignation. But, <laughs> but they thought we were doing the wrong thing and clearly told us so. We lost a lot of friends uh, over that decision. Some of you will remember um, last year when I preached, I held up a, a rather a gaudy plate that is the last of a dinner set that was part of that journey that we were on. Um, but we, we left the Salvation Army with no house to go to, uh, nowhere to live, um, with, with nowhere for our kids to go to school, and uh, no idea about how we were going to fit out a house, because we had no furniture, even if we found one. And yet, we had a strong sense of the Lord being in that decision and we had a strong sense of peace about it. Our source of peace is to be much more than just the mere absence of trouble or the mere absence of difficult times. Our source of peace is supposed to be the Lord himself. The, the Lord is our peace. Jehovah Shalom. As ever, Jesus is the model here. The peace we're talking about is that which remains resolute and assured even in the middle of a storm. The primary picture of this kind of peace is Jesus asleep in the stern of a fishing boat. Mark chapter 4. We'll have a quick read. You will know the story, no doubt. Mark chapter 4 and verses 35 to 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, to the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took, with, took him with them in a boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Now in the stern was where the helmsman usually sat. 
There was a seat there, it was usually covered in leather and under the seat was a cushion for extra comfort if it was a bit choppy. So whether Jesus is resting his head on the seat or whether he's got the cushion and resting his head on the cushion, we don't know. But that's what he's doing, sound asleep. They're drowning, he's sleeping. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. Those words are actually uh, similar words to what an exorcist would say to an evil spirit. So there's something demonic about the storm that's happening. Then the wind ceased and there was dead calm. And he said to them, said to them why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? In scripture... Fear and faith are mutually exclusive. We dabble in both. But the Bible is very clear. They're exclusive. If you're fearful, you're not exercising faith. According to Mark... Jesus' sleep is not the sleep of weariness or fatigue, but the sleep that comes from absolute confidence in God's ability to protect him and to save him, to keep him safe. Jehovah Shalom. Jesus said, let's cross the lake. Once they got out in the middle of the lake, remembering it's night time, the disciples lose perspective. And what they remember him saying is, Let's go out into the middle of the lake and all drown. But Jesus said, let's cross to the other side. One commentator says of the disciples in the storm, these seasoned sailors were so desperate that they turned to a carpenter for help. But what a carpenter. In contrast to the disciples, Jesus is at peace. Psalm 4 verse 8, I can lie down and sleep soundly because you, Lord, will keep me safe. Our attempts to remain calm and serene and peaceful quickly disappear when the pressure's on. Only an understanding of God's character of his power to provide, Jehovah Jireh, to shepherd us, Jehovah Ra, to be present, Jehovah Shammah, and to be our peace, Jehovah Shalom, will give us confidence in his sovereignty and power. To a large degree, our description of God will determine our destiny. What we think of God will determine who we become. This piece is about having confidence in our relationship and our position in God. It's about assurance. Shalom means a whole range of things. You, if you've watched uh, any movies with some Jewish people in it, you'll realize that it's a Hebrew greeting. And as such, it's, it's a rich word that doesn't just mean peace. It means salvation. It means wholeness, integrity, community, justice, 
righteousness and well-being. The church, capital C, the church worldwide, is engaged in the shalom business whenever it works in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to help people come into a relationship with God himself. For the gospel writers, Jesus the Christ is the bringer of shalom, the bringer of peace, the bringer of salvation, the bringer of justice, the bringer of community. Ephesians 2 verse 17 says of Jesus, So he came and proclaimed peace, shalom, would be the Hebrew term, but of course the New Testament's written in Greek. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. Paul, the apostle, and the writers of the Gospels believe that we are to be ambassadors or carriers of this peace into our families, into our communities, into our churches, and into our nations. Peacemaking is intimately connected with helping people experience God's shalom. In the New Testament, God's shalom is the most profound expression of what it means to be rescued and empowered by Jesus. I'll say that again. In the New Testament, God's shalom is the most basic expression of what it means to be rescued and empowered by Jesus. It's the model of what life is meant to be like in submission to Jesus. Peter went to Cornelius's house at Cornelius's invitation and when he was there he preached to the uh, household that was gathered and he preached the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. He could have said, I preach the good news of evangelism or the good news of salvation because the terms mean the same. Shalom is salvation. Shalom is rescue. Shalom is wholeness. Jesus came to earth to declare the good news that God's salvation God's shalom was available simply through faith in himself. Simply by people putting their faith in Jesus. So here's the the third and most important point to remember, I guess. Is true peace is a person. Not a state of mind. We can't escape the fact that true peace is only found in a person, found in relationship with the Lord who is peace. Once you've repented of your sin and received God's forgiveness, regardless of the storms you face, regardless of how you feel, regardless of past hurts, you'll receive God's shalom because when you receive him, He is peace. Wholeness, shalom, enables us to be secure in God's power to provide for us, to protect us, to position us, or, the worst case, promote us to glory. Either way, we win.
Here's where we've been going this morning. The Lord, our peace, Jehovah, Shalom, calls us into our destiny. Our true destiny is only found in relationship with him. Our purpose is far too big for us to accomplish out of our own resources. Without him, we'll always fall short. But this is no soft, cuddly God we're talking about. Sometimes we are far too familiar with God. I'm amazed how gracious God was to Gideon when Gideon presumed on him time and time again. If it is you who's talking to me, hang about and I'll go and get a present. What a presumption. God in his grace tolerated that. As if he needed a present. We're talking about a holy God, a God who will not stand for justice, or injustice, will not stand for unrighteousness, for sin. We're talking about a God who wages war on evil and sin. Only Jesus can save us from God's holiness. You notice I didn't say God's judgment, I said God's holiness. At the cross, Jesus paid the price for our sin. Past, present and future. Entertain that thought this week as you reflect on Jesus. When we seek God's forgiveness on the basis of Jesus' sacrificial death in our place, God not only forgives us, but a profound transaction takes place whereby our sin is transferred to Jesus And Jesus' righteousness is transferred to us. That is good news. That is good news. Would the musos like to come? The second point I made was this Prince of Peace is Jesus. One of his names. Prince of Peace. Jesus exemplifies this peace. He demonstrates for us the difference that trust in God makes. He's the prototype of what God intended life to be. The shalom life. The life in relation to the Lord, our peace. And the final point I made was true peace is a person. I will be with you, he said to Gideon, and that made all the difference. That called Gideon into his destiny. Only in God can we become all that God intended us for for us to be. True peace comes when we recognize this almighty God that we are dealing with. We dare not live as if God will overlook sin. We dare not continue to live with destructive habits when we understand fully his holiness and his purity. God loves us passionately. He is for us. But his justice demands that sin is paid for. If not by Jesus' substitutionary death, then by ours. As with Gideon, God himself, Jehovah Shalom, is to make all the difference to our lives and he is to be our peace.
Some of you who are in a right relationship with God have lost your peace. It happens to us occasionally. I want to take this opportunity for us to just reconnect with God and for us to ask God to be our peace once again. So I'd invite you all to stand. I simply want us this morning that if you are in that situation and there's no condemnation at all because sometimes it seems a contradiction in terms but sometimes we have to fight for our peace we have to fight for faith and stand strong against fear that's not laying on a tartan picnic rug looking at the sky That's active, faithful, resolute response to God. So I want to take this opportunity to just pray for us. If you're struggling with a sense of peace, if you're going through a circumstance or situation that seems to have evaporated a sense of God's peace in your life, a sense even of God's close companionship with you, I'm going to ask you to open your hands. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, or, but you might want to put your hands, your palms upward just in front of you. But if that's too adventurous for you, just open your hands at your side. That's enough. And I want to pray that God would come and bring his sense of peace on us. And then Tony will come and help us to think about other responses that we might need to make. God of all peace we acknowledge your presence and acknowledge your power we acknowledge the price that you paid in order that we might be able to experience your peace that we might be able to experience you resident within Father some of us are struggling today because we've got a bit diverted we've allowed the circumstances and the situations that we face to eclipse who you are and so today we ask again please forgive us for our loss of perspective please help us to become more aware of your majesty and your might of your authority which you have never lost it's never been in doubt The enemy has never uh, caused you to lose any of your authority. But we've lost our perspective. And so today, we ask you to fill us again with the God of all peace. We ask that as we walk through difficult circumstances, as we walk through struggles and anxieties, things that would... uh, attempt to swamp our our boat and cause us to to be panicked I pray that you would keep us strong and resolute in you fill us afresh with a revelation of the Lord our peace Jehovah Shalom who is in charge who is over all who is everywhere present who is all powerful and in whose hands our destinies remain come Holy Spirit 
fill us afresh with your peace. Fill us afresh with your peace. coming up to Christmas declaration of the angels glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those with whom he is well pleased This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.